Morning, everyone. Well, today is the third Sunday of Advent, although this will actually be the first Advent talk as we've been finishing our series on living, transformed living. Now, I'll let you into a secret. Looking back on my computer, I discovered I preached on these very same verses nine years ago. How amazing is that? And in those nine years, the congregation has changed quite drastically. There's so many new people here. And do you know, I was very tempted, to, <laughs> very tempted to do the same sermon. But I asked myself the question, is the message from these same readings today the same message that the Lord gave nine years ago? Does the Lord have something different to say to us at Pippin Gyms in 2018 as he did in 2009? Well, you'll be pleased to know this is a new sermon because I feel the Lord does have different things to say to us today. Now, the purpose of Advent is to help us prepare for the coming of Jesus at Christmas. It can be a time of fasting, of prayer, of deeds of kindness and eager anticipation, a time of watching for the birth of Jesus and a time of waiting. But it also has a second purpose, and that's to direct our thoughts to the second coming of Christ that he promised. And I'm reliably informed by Martin that today of all Sundays in the year is the day to preach about the second coming of Jesus. So, the word first is to prepare. Now, we're really counting down the days now, aren't we, and getting ready for Christmas. And I'm sure many of you, if, especially if you've got young children, will be opening um, Advent calendars, looking up hints on how to prepare food, and busy planning, buying, and wrapping presents. But God has a timetable too. And he's counting down the days till he sends Jesus back to bring his bride, the church, back in triumph to the eternal home. And make no mistake, the countdown has already started. The heavenly clock is ticking away. So we need to heed the words of John the Baptist, who in a few verses before the ones that um, Jim read, says... Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And did you notice what strong words John the Baptist had for the crowds? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now John's words hint at both the coming destruction of Jerusalem, but also far into the future, into the final judgment. He speaks of the axe lying at the root of the tree, ready to cut it down. So he's giving a clear warning to the people to repent, which in turn, repentance should lead to fruitfulness. Which is why he goes on to talk about actions when the soldiers and the tax collectors and the other people in the crowd asked him, what should we do? And later, John develops this judgment theme as he describes the winnowing action of sifting out the wheat and the useless chaff, and the latter will be burnt with unquenchable fire. The second coming of Jesus Christ 
and the final judgment of this world will happen. So how can we prepare for that promised future event? Well, first, surely, is to believe in it. Jesus told his disciples and followers many things concerning his second coming. And in a much-loved section from John 14, which we often use at funerals, Jesus said, I will come back to take you to the place I'm preparing for you. And in Luke 21, Jesus warned the crowds that that day, which is a code word for the second coming, will close unexpectedly like a trapdoor. Jesus also said, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is another code word for Jesus. And in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, Jesus said, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, to the ends of the heaven. He went on to say that no one knew the day or the time, not the angels, not even himself, but only God the Father. And he warned us to keep watch for the signs of the coming return, because there will be signs. In that same chapter, Jesus described the last days, which include the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, the stars falling from the sky, and the heavenly bodies being shaken. Words that put the fear of God into our hearts. But that's what they were designed to do. For us to think about this future happening and be prepared for it, to get ready for it. Jesus Christ has promised and he will definitely return to this world to take every Christian believer back to live with him in eternity. You heard the crowd asking Jesus, what should we do? In our hearts, perhaps we can echo that question now. What should we do? What should I do? And the answer surely is to prepare for this astounding event by making sure we've repented of our sins and asked Jesus to be our saviour, by seeking to follow him and obey him, and by serving him in love and worship and adoration. Now Jesus spoke of these events many times in different places, as of course did the writers of the letters and the, and the epistles, who all spoke positively and prophetically about the fact that Christ will come again, but that we were not to be alarmed or unsettled, nor should we be deceived by this report or that false teaching. Instead, every Christian is to stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching of the apostles that they have passed on to us. So the first response to John the Baptist's call to prepare the way for the Lord is to believe in the future return of Jesus, to make sure that we are part of his elect. By accepting and receiving his offer of salvation, 
and by keeping watch for the signs of his coming. A tall order may be, but we do have the Holy Spirit within to help us. And the second response to that call of John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Lord is to rejoice. That's what we heard from Philippians. Paul starts these verses by encouraging us to rejoice in the Lord always. And to emphasize it, Paul says it again, rejoice. Now, he's not being shallow here. He's not being flippant. Don't forget, he's writing from a prison cell, awaiting certain death, realizing the church is going to face persecution. Yet he still rejoices. In the Anglican calendar today, today is known as Gaudete Sunday, which is why I asked Richard if we could have that lovely carol. Thank you, Richard, for doing it for us. And as we've realized from that carol, Gaudete is a Latin word which means rejoice. And we lit the pink candle today because pink candle is a reminder that we are in a season of joy. Because our salvation is already at hand, we're already experiencing it, and it's right and appropriate to rejoice as we see Christmas coming. Now, Paul's outward circumstances were not contributing to his joy. You wouldn't be joyful because of sitting in a prison cell, perhaps changed to a Roman soldier. But his joy came from the certainty and the security of knowing who he was in God. The theologian Henry Nguyen described the difference between joy and happiness. He said, while happiness is dependent on external conditions, in other words, our circumstances, joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing neither sickness or failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away from us. And thus joy can be present even in the midst of sadness. I've certainly experienced that joy in the midst of wid widowhood. With my husband's coffin sitting here on the front, I was filled with joy, and that only comes from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So whatever our circumstances, nothing can affect our forgiveness or our status as sons and daughters of the living God and the fact that we have an eternal home waiting for us. Our joy isn't shaped by our circumstances or how we feel about ourselves. Joy comes when we know God loves us unconditionally. And yet, of course, I know it's hard to rejoice when you're in the midst of worries about your health or your finances or being alone in the house at night or sitting in a dentist chair or waiting in a hospital room. Yet, dear old Paul has the solution of this encouragement to the Philippians, and he says in verse 5, the Lord is near. Now these four words, the Lord is near, are immediately followed by four other words, do not be anxious. Can you see the difference? The Lord is near, do not be anxious. 
They're two totally opposing thoughts and forces. They're two extremes. And yet the first four words, the Lord is near, have the power to cancel out the second four words, do not be anxious. So, Paul says, if and when you do feel the first twinges of anxiety and worry, then pray. Pray, says Paul, thanking God at the same time for his help in the past, for his presence now, and his power to overcome all things. And the result, says Paul, will be peace. I love the message translation of this verse. It says, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And listen to this, it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. William Barclay, in his commentary, translates the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, as peace, standing guard like a sentry on duty. And when the truth of the Lord is near fills our hearts, we will find that Christ's presence is more than sufficient to get rid of the anxiety, to remove the worry, to lead us away from the continual thoughts about our problems. Four years ago, Pope Francis said that Gaudete Sunday is known as the Sunday of Joy and that instead of fretting about all the things they still hadn't done to prepare for Christmas, people should think about all the good things life has given you. And that made me remember a film that Peter and I watched last week, a wonderfully famous film which I actually hadn't seen before, made in 1946 called It's a Wonderful Life, about an angel in training who gives a despondent man a look at what the world would be like if he had never been born and never experienced this wonderful life. And it is tempting, sometimes easy to think, that we should never have been born or that we're not good enough. Do you remember the words of Michelle Obama a couple of weeks ago on her recent visit to London? Do you remember what she talked about? The imposter Syndrome. I'd never heard of it before. And I wonder if there's any here who think they are an imposter in God's family. Because the imposter syndrome says, I don't belong here really. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I don't have any gifts that God can use. But God says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And Psalm 139 tells us with deep and utter certainty that God has chosen us long before we were born, when we were still in our mother's womb. He's chosen us and loved us and given us this wonderful life to enjoy, to praise him and rejoice in all his gifts, to rejoice in his presence now 
and in his coming return in glory in the future. And if you weren't here today, if you felt so badly that you didn't belong and you left, there would be a huge gap in the Pip and Jim's family. The Lord is near, not just in the sense of his loving presence with us, although that is very true, but also in the second sense that his second coming is near. Now, it's certainly nearer today than it was nine years ago when I preached on these verses. Nine years have passed and the Lord's not come back yet. But Paul says in Romans 13, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Every day brings us closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And in these last days of Advent, we can respond to the coming of Jesus by preparing watching, waiting, and rejoicing. Rejoicing in all that we have now and in all that is to come at Christ's return. Let's put the wanting back into the waiting. We want Jesus Christ to return. And so let's wait joyfully and expectantly. And our anticipation of this coming Christmas Tuesday week will have its reward in lots of festive food, especially if you're coming to the Christmas Day lunch here, joyful reunions, I hope, and happy celebrations. And in a similar way, our anticipation of Christ's return will also have its reward. John Centineau, the Archbishop of York, wrote this week, the wanting and the hopefulness of Advent deserves more than an overfull belly. So let's look beyond Christmas and let's prepare and rejoice because the Lord is near. Hallelujah.